My name is Jeff Rackliff, and it is Thursday, June 24th. The Houston Texans. Yikes. On paper, maybe not the best squad here. And uh, trouble at the top, so we got to talk about Deshaun Watson and everything that's unfolding there. Before I get into that, though, because I'm going to lead with that, just a reminder, we do have a contest going on right now. All you have to do to enter is review this podcast, this one that you're listening to right now, on Apple, Apple Podcasts, rate, review, and in your review, leave your Twitter handle, and you're entered in to win. I'll pick a winner in July, and the winner will receive a free Rant t-shirt. There you go, with the Rant logo. If you want to buy one, you can get it over at sawdustpods.com, which they're pretty cool, not going to lie. Pretty cool. So you'd be entered in to win. Uh, Do that, help me out, and I'll help you out right there. All right, so let's talk about Deshaun Watson. Currently where we stand with him legally, and this is, of course, uh, you know, things can change if you're listening to this a couple weeks from when I recorded it, but where we stand currently, the lawsuits are there, the civil suits are there, they have not been settled, there is no criminal criminal charges filed, there is a criminal investigation, but no charges filed against Watson, and as of now, the league has not even talked to him much less placed him on commissioner's exempt. That is something that could very well happen. Watson could uh, certainly be placed on exempt. He would be paid. It's a paid leave, which in which case he would report to camp at the beginning of or at the end of July, and then he'd be placed on paid leave. And then we don't know when he comes off of it. If if he's informed that he will not be placed on commissioner's exempt. He will not be suspended this year because he's not supposed to be deposed until after the Super Bowl. So there is the chance that he could play. If that was the case, he would be traded. The Houston Texans will very likely trade him because there isn't a scenario where, at least based on everything that Watson has said, where he is going to play for this team again. So we'll have to address that when we come to it. And you best believe we will on this podcast. But that's where we stand. Watson, not going to be on this squad. Regardless of any of these outcomes, not going to be on this squad this year. So that leaves us with Terod Taylor and rookie third-round pick Davis Mills. Now, there was some rumblings. uh, It came out that the Texans were all set, ready to go to take Kellen Mond. And, of course, Kellen Mond went one pick before them to the Minnesota Vikings, so they took the the last of the guys who were you know, did have at least some kind of potential to start in the future in the NFL. You know, the big five this year, the first-round guys, all obviously had that potential. But then you looked after that, you had Kyle Trask, you had Kellen Mond, and you had Davis Mills. Those were the other guys who had any sort of potential to start. Doesn't mean they're going to, but they viewed traits in Davis Mills that are starter potential. You know, this this is kind of where it was. Now, they did wisely bring in Terod Taylor in free agency. I thought that was a smart move given the circumstances. And there's not a lot of moves we can say for Houston that are smart. But given the circumstances, the writing was on the wall. Watson made it abundantly clear. You need a quarterback. And in Terod Taylor, do you get a high-end starting quarterback? No. But do you get a starting NFL quarterback? Yes. And those do not grow on trees. You're not in a situation where you have to start like an A.J. McCarron or somebody like that. He's a capable starting quarterback and more importantly, he's a veteran leader. 
which this team needs desperately. Now, the interesting thing about Terod Taylor is, you know, I, and I think it's fair to say this, even at this point in his career, he's still one of the top running quarterbacks in the NFL, extremely mobile. He's not going to bring a lot with his arm, but he's going to bring enough there that QB2 value is very real as long as he's the starter. That is the operative phrase, though, as long as he's the starter. How long does Terod Taylor keep the job on a team that, hey, any given Sunday, anything can happen, but would anybody be shocked if this team didn't win a game this year, the first 0-17 team in NFL history? No. So if you get to a point where you are, you're 0-6, 0-7, 1-7, 1-8, whatever, if you make it that far, why not put the rookie in and see what he has? So that's the problem with Terod Taylor. I don't mind taking Terod Taylor in a best ball. I would be cautious in redraft leagues. You know, one quarterback, no. But in a two-quarterback league, I'd be cautious as my third quarterback because I don't think he stays under center the entire season. There's still some appeal there. Now, of course, he'll be throwing the ball to Brandon Cooks, Randall Cobb, and then after that, you kind of have a hodgepodge. You got Kiki Cutie, you got Nico Collins, the rookie out of Michigan. You get Chris Conley there. There's like a lot of guys, but really there's only one player who stands out for fantasy, and I don't even know if we want him, depending on your profile, it's Brandon Cooks. 123 targets for him, I have him with 78 catches, 1,090 yards, five touchdowns because Terod Taylor, but the volume is good enough for him to be a back-end wide receiver too. I don't have enough volume for Cobb to be there. Cobb, you know, there might be a week or two where he's a DFS guy. Of course, one of these other guys could surface for DFS purposes. But the only fantasy-relevant option is Brandon Cooks. And, and again, if he's not your vibe, like, we know what Brandon Cooks is at this point. The book's written on him. He's a boom or bust guy. And the boom is big. But the bust is, it's potentially a goose egg. Like, zero fantasy points in any given week. Or, like, 35, depending on how you know, big he gets. Now, I don't know if he gets that big with Terod under center, but I'd be looking at him as, you know, basically like I have him at 25 to 30 in that range. If you can get him at a value, I don't hate it. I don't hate it. I don't love it, but I don't hate it. I don't hate anybody at a value. That is the name of the game. So the Texans do have a bunch of tight ends in the house, and uh, they also have themselves a bit of a log jam. Is that what we're going to call it? In the backfield. So let's take a break. We'll talk about the tight ends here and the running backs for the Houston Texans. So what we've seen out of the Texans over the last several years is they do like themselves some tight ends, and they did throw two tight ends. But, of course, it is important to note, and I guess I bury the lead when I talked about Deshaun Watson, the Bill O'Brien era obviously was over last year. And now we have David Culley in, which is a really surprising hire. Like, David Culley's been around the block. It's like, it's not that he's new to the NFL or anything, but he's been around the block forever and never really had a sniff at a head coaching job. So that's where it does come as a bit of a surprise. There were some who had suggested that the hire was specifically to try and appease Deshaun Watson because apparently Watson and Cully had some friendly exchanges in the past. I, I don't know how true that is. I, it do, that doesn't really pass the smell test entirely, but it was an odd hire. 
especially an odd hire when you consider some of the guys who weren't hired. But I guess in this instance here, Houston wanted a leader of men type. There are different types of head coaches. Some head coaches, you get the leader of men type. Some head coaches, you get the the either offensive or defensive mastermind type. And if you're really lucky, you get both. Maybe they just wanted that leader of men type here. So historically, yes, they have used the tight end a lot. But historically, in recent history, it was any given week. It could be Jordan Akins. It could be Darren Fells. Well, Darren Fells is out of the mix. And really have... Jordan Akins and then a lot of depth. I mean, they did get Brevin Jordan, who I think in the future could be something. But if there's a year for Jordan Akins to take a step forward, it's this one. There is a problem, though. The big problem is that available targets may not be there. It depends on how long we have Terod Taylor starting. So I have him basically in there for 10 games. 10 games, Davis Mills in there for seven. If Terod Taylor is starting, there's not going to be a ton of targets in this offense. They're not going to throw the ball a lot. That's the problem. So I don't even have Jordan Akins at my 3-for-32 mark. You know, three catches per game is 51. I'm at 43 catches. 478 and just two touchdowns. Now, he's truly dominating among the tight ends in terms of target shares, but... I just don't know if there's enough meat on the bone. As much as I, I, I and I like Jordan Akins. He's big and athletic, but I don't know if there's enough meat in the meat on the bone in the passing game for him to be a, a viable fantasy option. I'm gonna hang on to him in dynasty just in case. I do have a deep dynasty league where I have Jordan Akins just in case. His tight ends are so hard to come by in a dynasty league, but not in redraft. Not in redraft this year. So let's talk about the backfield because this backfield is certainly. A mess. Uh, it really is. It's old. It's very old, and it is a mess. So on this roster, you have David Johnson, almost 30 years old. You have Mark Ingram, over 30 years old. You have Philip Lindsay, who, by the way, is not young. He's 27. And let, are we even going to talk about Rex Burkhead? I'm not even, uh, right now, I'm not even projecting him. So I'm projecting it. Here's the distribution, <laughs> and this shows you how complicated this is. 130 rushing attempts for David Johnson, 100 for Philip Lindsay, 60 for Mark Ingram. Part of the problem, too, remember, as long as Terod Taylor's in there, you have a quarterback who's taking a chunk of the, the run game off of the plate of the backfield. But that is, I, I don't think there's any other backfield in the league who I'm projecting like that. Typically, you'll have that lead back, you'll have that number two, and then the number three gets only a handful, maybe a carry or two per game. But Ingram, I'm giving, obviously, more than that. I'm giving over three carries per game. So that makes things challenging. Now, in terms of the targets, I do think it's David Johnson, and I don't think it's really anybody else. I think David Johnson gets, you know, I have met 32 catches, which isn't a ton. But that does put him up over 160 touches. Eh. 14 catches, or 15 catches for Phil Lindsay, four catches for Ingram. I don't expect Ingram to do much on this roster. You know, this is largely, I think, you know, David Culley bringing him over because that's obviously where he came from with the Ravens. So let me address the elephant in the room. I keep getting asked, do I think that Philip Lindsay wins this job? No, I don't. But I do think he's going to be used. I think David Johnson is the lead back, but we're not in an era of, you know, the, the Bruce Arians when Bruce Arians is like, yeah, we're going to give him 30 touches a game. We're not in that era of David Johnson at 29 years old. We're not in that era. 
But is he the best back on this team right now? Yeah, he is. If Philip Lindsay was that good, Denver didn't have to do much to keep him in house. And they didn't keep him in house. And they they upgraded with Javante. So if he was that good, yeah. I know David Johnson's not that good either, but here's where they uh, they project out. He's not that good at this point in his career. I don't want to knock what he did earlier on because he was freaking awesome. 32. RB 32 for David Johnson. RB 56 for Phil Lindsay. RB 76 for Mark Ingrams. Mark Ingram's not draftable. Philip Lindsay is, but late round. David Johnson is one of these guys who on draft day is going to hang around on your board. He's going to be there. He's going to be there. He's going to be there. He's one of those, like, put this guy out of his misery type guys. You know who I'm talking about. Every year, there's a guy or two like that, and you finally go, all right, fine, I'll bite. I'll put him out of his misery. The thing is, with David Johnson, you will get the lead back on a team, but why I wouldn't put him out of his misery, so to speak, on draft day, even if it's like the ninth or tenth round, is you don't get a ton of that juice with him. When I talk about that juice, I'm talking about that upside, baby. And that upside is what really you want to construct your roster with in your fantasy drafts. Eventually, there's a value-breaking point. Like, yeah, finally, you know, he's there in the 11th or 12th round. Okay, fine. But I still don't even love that. But it's just something to consider. Terod Taylor might have a little bit of value, but really, it's only Brandon Cooks who we're looking at on this roster. That is a pretty light roster. Right there. Of course, coming up next, uh, we don't have a light roster. We have the Indianapolis Colts, and that's going to be a lot of fun. We'll talk some Carson Wentz, Jonathan Taylor, all that fun stuff. That'll be tomorrow on the podcast. So remember, follow along with me, at Jeff Radcliffe on Twitter, at Jeff Radcliffe on Instagram. Use the hashtag Rat Pack. That way I know you're a listener of the show. Sawdustpods.com for merch. All right, go check it out. Indianapolis Colts tomorrow. I'll catch you on the flip side for another edition of the pod. I'm Jeff Ratcliffe, and I'm out of here.